you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. Let's see what the Lord has for us today. Revelation chapter 21. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me. I want you to get this today. I feel the Lord spoke something to me that I want to speak to you this morning And I want to just kind of be his mouthpiece if I can. It's good with me if he'll just speak through me. Now, now I have told you many, many times, the more more time I have to prepare, the shorter I preach. Unfortunately, I haven't had much time, so I may preach a while this morning. And just about time I start to tell you that, my voice just cuts out already. So I won't be preaching tonight. I'm not going to tell you who our preacher is tonight. Most of you will recognize his name if I told you, but I will tell you, you will not be disappointed. I was blessed to reach out, and one of my, my, I consider him a good friend, moved heaven and earth and called me, and he said, I will be there Sunday night. I'm expecting great things to happen tonight. So be here. Bring somebody with you. You're going to be blessed tonight. Revelation 21, verse number 4. John the Revelator says, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. I want you to say those five words with me, that there's six words with me. The tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. The tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them. Whoa. The tabernacle of God is with men and the tabernacle of God is with men and he wait the tabernacle, is this on the screen? Oh, it's not on the screen. We got a problem. I was wondering why you weren't talking back to me already. The tabernacle of God is with men. Everybody say the tabernacle of God. The tabernacle of God is with men and he. Who? The tabernacle of God. 
is with men, and he will dwell with them. Hmm. Let's see what I can make out of this this morning, but by the help of the Lord, I, I'm going to preach God with us. God with us. When the angel of the Lord came and said, Mary, you're going to have a baby, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, being interpreted, God with us. There's a whole mouthpiece through the scripture of God with us. Lord, help me this morning to preach what you have laid upon my heart. Let me somehow be able to weave this text together this morning to where it may become so clear to us that you, God, not, not a second party or a third party, but you, God, are with men in this house this morning walking with us. In Jesus' name, everybody say God with us. You can be seated. In the book of Exodus, you'll find the tabernacle plan. Not a subject I preach on too often, but in the book of Exodus, you'll find a tabernacle plan, which is a picture of God's plan to redeem his people. The tabernacle was the Old Testament house of worship. Inside the tabernacle was an outer court, an inner court, and then a whole, the Holy of Holies. The inner court and the Holy of Holies was covered. It was like a tent in the middle of a court that was walled about with skins. Within the Holy of Holies, the separated smallest room of the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, within the Holy of Holies, shielded from the eye of common men was a piece of furniture comprising itself of two parts. It was the Ark of the Covenant and on top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. The Ark was a chest of sorts made with shidem wood which many believe was actually acacia, came from the acacia tree. The acacia wood was overlaid with pure gold on the inside and on the outside. Everybody say on the inside and on the outside. The ark as has been replicated for you this morning thanks to Sister Brenda and Brother Rick Campbell for creating this incredible replica. The ark, three feet, nine inches long, two feet, three inches wide, two feet, three inches high. God commanded Moses to put three items inside of the ark. The golden pot of manna, Aaron's staff that budded, and two stone tablets, the Ten Commandments, were written thereon. The mercy seat was the lid for the ark. On top of it were two cherubims or angels at two ends facing each other. The cherubim served as symbols of God's divine presence and power. They were facing downward and toward one another with outstretched wings covering the ark wherein the mercy of God dwelled. The mercy seat was beaten out of one piece of pure gold. The mercy seat was God's meeting place 
within the tabernacle. It was where his glory dwelt and it was protected by the cherubims. Mercy was not free. Mercy came with a great cost and then and only then were sins rolled ahead for a period of a year. God said to Moses in Exodus the 25th chapter and the 22nd verse, And there on the mercy seat will I commune with thee above the mercy seat. God appeared unto them in his glory. In 1 Timothy the 6th chapter and verse 16, the New International Version declares that it was an unapproachable light. The light is often referred to as the Shekinah glory of God. The Shekinah, although it doesn't appear in the King James Version, has the same roots as the word for tabernacle. In the Hebrew, it refers to the raw presence of Jehovah God. Because the ark was God's throne among His people, it was a symbol of His presence and His power where God was with them wherever they went. They took the ark with them. God designed the ark, and the ark was carried with them, representing the presence of God or the glory of God with man, God with them. As a matter of fact, the entire tabernacle plan was God's design. It was His master plan, God is a master designer and gives specific plans with details. I know I'm moving really quickly. Hope you've got your mind in gear. I'm going to slow down in a few moments, but right now I'm blitzing through. Most of you that have been around the church and know the Bible would, of course, know many of the things that I'm telling you about today, but I want you to catch what what I'm bringing to you. God said, make it a certain size, overlay it with gold. God said, I have detailed plans with it because God has always been into details. If he was so specific about the tent in which he was going to put all of the parts of the tabernacle and and all of the items that go inside with specific and integral details and a curtain that was going to have intricate details woven within it, sending messages to God's people way back in the Old Testament plan. If he was so interested and he put so much time and detail into it, how much more detail Do you think God is putting into our everyday lives wherein He dwells within us now by the Holy Spirit? Now He doesn't dwell in temples that were built by hands. But we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We look in the Old Testament and see how God says you got to do all of this detail work. All of this craftsmanship has to go into the tabernacle and the building and the construction and all the pieces that go in. And then he takes a piece of dirt, breathes into it the breath of life. But oh, ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot of detail that goes into you and I. And when you think you're out here somewhere by yourself and God isn't paying attention to you, there's a lot of detail that is going into every breath you breathe. The last few weeks, 
I've been meeting with doctors because my brother has been in the hospital since Thanksgiving. Recently, my wife had surgery this past week. I've spent more than enough time in doctor's office listening to them in detail explain how the body works and how it functions and the parts and pieces. And I look at it and all I can say is, wow. There's an awful lot of detail. So God puts all of this detail into the tabernacle. First off, major representation in many of the parts. Don't have time today to go into all of the pieces and parts of the tabernacle, but there's the door. And Jesus said, I am. There's the brazen altar with the four horns, Brother Bill, that you asked me about this morning, in which the sacrifice was tied upon the laver of water, which was for cleansing. It was a mirror that reflected the image of the people before they went into the holy place. They had to look at themselves and go, wow, am I really worthy to even go into this place? It was for cleansing. And then there was the holy place. Inside the holy place were three very important things. There was the table of showbread, which represents the Word of God. There was the golden candlesticks, which illuminated everything, which represent the church of God. And then there was an altar of incense, which represents our worship to God. Then when you go beyond the veil, there's a veil. Then you got to go beyond the veil. And beyond the veil, no human was allowed to go except one time a year. One priest, one time in his lifetime could even go into that place. And that place was called the Holy of Holies. And when you get there in the Holy of Holies, now you've come to the place where the Ark of the Covenant set. It was the place where God's presence met with man. One man, one time, a year, once in his lifetime, could he entertain the presence of God. For 430 years, Israel was estranged from God. And God said, I want them to understand the whole purpose of this tabernacle. I want to restore relationship with man. And in order to restore relationship with man, there's going to have to be a sacrifice because relationship will always cost you a lot. So in Exodus 25, he said, tell them to bring me an offering when you come to the tabernacle. God first requested an offering from them. And then he became the offering for them. He paid the price, the ultimate price. It cost him everything. He said, nobody's taking it from me. I'll lay it down. It costs something to have redemption. That's why cheap church doesn't impress me. That's why people who come to the house of God without a sacrifice don't impress me. Your nice clothes and pretty suit, it's not going to impress God. He said, bring me something that costs you something. 
David said, I won't offer unto the Lord that which costs me nothing. For those of you that need text, I'm going to give it to you today. You've got to bring God something that costs you something because redemption cost him everything. So he lays down his life, but then in return, he tells the church, now you got to lay down your life. Because if any man seeks to save his life, you're going to lose it. But if you, if you choose to lose your life for my sake, then you're going to find it. See, it's all, of these, it's all of these reversals in Scripture. First he says, man, you bring the offering, now I'll be the offering. Now, church, you lay down your life because I laid down my life. Each part of the tabernacle is an example of man trying to get back into right relationship with God and God trying to purchase salvation for man. When he started giving instructions, the interesting thing is is that the instructions do not start with the outer court. The instructions begin with the last piece of furniture that could ever be approached. He started with the instructions of the Ark of the Covenant. I think perhaps what he's saying is, I'll deal with sacrifice and worship and cleansing. I'm going to deal with all of it because all of it's important. But the first thing I want want you to create is I want to make sure that man knows that I have full intention of meeting with him personally. So he creates the very object, the very item in which he was going to meet with man. He started with the ark because the ark represented his glory, his power, and his presence. Now there's three arks that are mentioned in the Bible. And I'm going to talk about those three arks to you this morning. One saved Noah and his house. It was a perfect type. One saved Moses in the bulrushes. It was another type. One was the ark represented before you today, the ark in the tabernacle, and it also was a type. The ark of Noah was a type and a shadow of what was to come. The ark of Noah saved his life and saved his family. God gave Noah a plan, but Noah had to build it in order for his family to be saved. I hope you got that. I'm throwing a lot of stuff at you this morning real fast. Some of you are just dodging it while it's coming. God gave Noah a plan, but he didn't build it for him. He said, go ahead and spend the next 120 years building it because if you want your family saved bad enough, I'm going to let you build. I'll give you the plan, and I, but you're going to have to do everything else. All I'm giving you is the plan, but if you'll follow the plan, your family's going to be saved. And he said, after you spend all this time building it, then you go, at the very last thing you're going to do, you're going to pitch it. Within and without. The pitch was a tar-like substance. He said, you're going to seal it on the inside and on the outside. God said, pitch it within and without. In other words, preserve it. It was a sealer to preserve it on the inside and on the outside. Are you with me today? 
every time we read about the ark, whether it's the ark of Noah, the ark of Moses, or the ark of the tabernacle, God is using the ark to preserve man. To preserve something. Always something is being preserved. God wanted to preserve a Moses because he had a great task to do to preserve his people. He wanted to preserve Noah and his family because he wanted to replenish the earth. And he wanted righteousness to prevail. In the tabernacle, he wanted it to preserve man for a season until eventually the ultimate sacrifice could preserve man for eternity. I wish I had a preaching church this morning. So God gives us the plan, but he doesn't fulfill the plan. He says, here's the plan. you got to build it. You want your family saved? God gave us a plan, but you got to work on it. You want peace in your life? God gave us a plan, but you got to work on it. You want to be in right relationship? There's a plan, but you got to work on it. Well, it didn't happen one trip to an altar. It took Moses, it took Noah 120 years. Pharaoh couldn't live among his, Moses couldn't live among his people, had to live in Pharaoh's house, and then had to spend 40 years on the backside of a desert somewhere until finally the plan could be fulfilled. It's got to be built. He gives us a plan, but you got to build it. You can't sit back and say, well, if God wants me to be saved, then he's just going to have to save me. Never going to happen. Well, I believe in it. You can believe in the plan, but you got to build the plan. you got to construct it. Well, if God wants me to get into his presence, then he's going to have to just rain down on me. Beautiful song, sounded great. It's all good, but the only way the rain's going to come down is the clouds are going to have to be seeded. There's going to have to be some some vapor that goes up before the rain comes down. Oh, and nobody wants. Your praise is a sweet smelling savor in the nostrils of God. When you send praise up, he sends the glory down. That's why you're not just clapping because I'm preaching good. You're clapping and singing and lifting hands and worshiping because we're sending vapor up. We're sending glory up because we want the glory of God to come down. God can call you to something, but sometimes... It doesn't happen overnight. We give up and quit because the reason that, that, that we quit is because God doesn't do it overnight. He gives you a plan, and he's got to let the plan unfold in your life because you may not be ready for what he's calling you to. So you got to build it. 120 years, Noah, build and preach. And at the end of it, You weren't very successful in ministry because all you saved was your own house and yourself.
in order to see your family and loved ones saved and see yourself saved, are you willing to spend the rest of your life building on what if 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 you if if you never sing another solo, if you never play a musical instrument, if you never stand on the platform, if you never preach a message, if nobody ever writes about you, are you so determined for God's plan to be fulfilled in your life that you'll build on it until God said, I gave you the plan. Now do something with the plan. God is the architect. We are the builders. He gave us a plan, but you've got to build according to his plan. Well, this makes better sense. I'm going to just adjust this and change this. That's not how God works. He said, build the ark and pitch it within and without. Preserve it on the inside and on the outside. Am I all right this morning? In other words, God didn't just come to save you on the outside. So people look at you and think, oh look, they must be saved because of the way they look. You can say amen in church all you want, leave, walk out with a bad attitude. He came to save you on the inside and on the outside. Seal it on the inside, seal it on the outside. I wish I had time to preach all the rabbit trails that I see popping up in front of me right now, but we're sealed by the Holy Ghost. It does a work on the inside and a work on the outside. Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. He doesn't just save one part of you. Pitch it within and without. Because when he preserves you on the outside, now I'm going to take it a little different direction than you were thinking I was going to go. But it doesn't matter what storms comes against you. It won't tear up the ship if you're pitched on the outside. Because the ship was created and built so it can can withstand any storm that may come against you. God's plan for your life was designated and designed to preserve you against whatever comes your way. That's why you don't have to be afraid when the devil throws something at you. You were made for this moment. You were made for it. Sickness comes into your life. You were made for this moment. Hardship comes. I was made for this moment. He pitched me on the inside and he pitched me on the outside. You ain't going to get in my spirit and you're not going to get me on the outside. Though he slay me, yet will I trust here You were made for this storm. You were built to fight. Look at your neighbor and tell him you were made for it. 
Let me move now. Moses was saved. Moses was saved by the ark in the bulrushes. And that ark was also pitched within and without. It also, huh, isn't it amazing that God says, pitch it within and without, and then when Moses' mama builds an ark to put in the bulrushes, she pitched it within and without. Because God had a plan in place when that ark was being built because he wanted to preserve what was inside it from what was on the outside of it. Because when she took that ark and placed it into the bulrushes along the Nile, there were a lot of destructive things lurking in the bulrushes. Moses was no match for any of them. He was only a baby. He was no match for the crocodiles or the snakes or the wicked king. And any of them could have killed Moses. The king was, had already put out the decree. The snakes and the crocodiles are waiting for their next meal. And the ark was placed in the bulrushes. Moses now is in an adverse situation. But he was saved not because of the strength within himself or the strength of his mother. But he was saved because he was inside of the ark. Moses was weak in comparison to his adversaries, but his adversaries was no match for the ark that was designed to preserve Moses' life. Because God designs the ark to save and preserve. Nothing would be able to harm Moses as long as he stayed inside of the ark. Maybe that's what Isaiah was talking about when he said in Isaiah 43 verse 2, When thou passeth through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall any flame kindle against thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. The snakes and the crocodiles are swimming around him. The king is looking for him. But the entire time, Moses was resting asleep inside of the ark. It doesn't really matter what's going on around you as long as you're in the ark. It's not really about you. It's about what's got you secure. 
Moses wasn't saved because, his, uh, because of his conditioning. He was a mere baby. Moses was saved because of his position. You got to stay inside the ark. Moses was saved as long as he stayed in the ark. You, you may not have everything figured out yet, but you're going to be okay. Just make sure you stay inside of the ark. You don't have to worry about what's going on around you. You just have to worry about staying inside of the ark. Now, now I, I've got to move. I see, I see the time going. But now let, let's look at the ark of the covenant. The ark which is represented before you on the platform this morning. In Exodus chapter 25, God gives a different perspective on the ark of the covenant. The ark of Moses and the ark of Noah were made of wood and covered within and without with pitch or tar. But the ark of the covenant was made with wood, but God said, you're going to cover it within and without with gold. The wood represents Humanity. The gold represents divinity. The wood, are you with me? The wood was from the acacia tree. The acacia tree had a healing sap that came from the tree. And the acacia wood had strength in it so that it was indestructible. It was known that it would not rot. The wood in the ark had healing properties to it. The wood represented humanity and it had healing properties in it. The wood represented the humanity of Christ. The gold represented the divinity of Christ. The humanity had healing properties in it. 39 stripes. 39 stripes on the back of humanity. 39 stripes on the back of humanity brought about healing because there was healing represented in the wood. Then the wood was overlaid with pure gold. When we see God, we have a tendency to only see His divinity but there is strength in his character and there is healing through his blood and body. When they saw him, all they saw of him was wood. But then when he came walking on water, they recognized that he was gold. 
His disciples saw him sleeping in a boat and said, he's just wood. But then he stood up and said, peace be still and prove that he was God. There's always been a confusion between the humanity and the divinity because, because as a man he was wood, but as God he was gold. The ark was wood overlaid with gold. Gold on the outside and gold on the inside and sandwiched between the two was wood. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He was gold manifest in wood. He was God manifest in flesh. In Exodus, the 25th chapter, the scripture goes on to tell us that there were four rings on the four corners of the ark. Those four corners, those four rings were made of gold and they were made for the rod to go through that they may be able to carry the ark upon their shoulders. I wish I had time to talk about it in its fullest. There were four Rings which could have represented the four gospels to be carried to the four corners of the earth. And there were two staves that went one on one side and one on the other as is represented. And the staves stayed in the place of their carrying. The stave stayed in place until it eventually found its final resting place in Solomon's temple. When the ark was carried, they left the staves in it because God was trying to say something all down through time. And he was saying that my glory and my anointing is always on the move. It's never to be stagnant and stationary. Keep moving it. They tried to find a fancier or easier way of moving it, so they put it on a cart and people died because God said, not my glory. It's going to be carried on the shoulders of common men. It would have been so much easier for the Lord to have sent us a couple of millionaires in to have written checks and paid for this building. It would be so much easier for one person to come in and write the big check and pay for revival. But God said, instead, I'm going to carry my glory on the shoulders of common men. That's why everybody in the church needs to recognize our part in the kingdom of God. I don't feel like I'm doing much. Just keep on carrying it on your shoulder. You're important. It's how God wants to move the church forward. He, it's how God wants to pay for revival. It's how God wants to evangelize the world. Get it on your shoulder and carry 
carry the gospel, carry the glory, carry it, keep carrying it. When Israel would go into battle, they would carry the ark with them because they were sure if the glory went with them that they would always have the victory. I know I'm going to preach a long time today, but i got to stop every now and then and just make a few pastoral statements. I know I'm supposed to be an evangelist this morning, but I'm, I'm going to be pastor for a moment. Some of you that struggle and you're up and down and up and down and up and down, the reason is you're not carrying the glory with you. Because if you carry the glory with you, victory is promised. It doesn't mean you're not going to fight battles. Of course you're going to fight battles. But get out the sword. The glory's in the house. And when the glory's with Israel, the outcome is sure. Get up. Get up and fight. The glory's with us. You can't lose when the glory's with you. It's the way God planned it. Take the glory with you and you'll always win. They knew. They knew if the ark was with them, if the glory was present with them, they knew they were going to win. No weapon formed against them could possibly prosper. If they were going to march around the walls of Jericho because they were shut out of where God had told them to go, if they were going to march around the walls, they took the ark with them. And the people followed behind it because the glory would always ensure the victory before they ever got there. Can I preach to my leadership for a few moments? I'm talking to everybody. Classes are in this morning. Let me speak to every teacher. Let me speak to every leader. Let me speak to every minister. Let me speak to every board member. We are carrying something that is holy and godly. You can't afford to not be prayed up, prayed up, fired up, ready to fight. We're carrying the glory. If we want the city to follow, then we've got to lead with the ark. We've got to lead with the glory. That's why you can't afford to come in and sit on your hands. We've got a job to do. We've got a gospel to carry. If it is to be, it's up to me. We've got to carry the gospel. We've got to march around the city carrying the ark. Because the people always followed, the people always followed the ark. When they got ready to cross the Jordan River, and it was at swollen stage, and they weren't going to be able to cross without dying, it looked impossible, the priest took the ark of the covenant and went before them. Everybody say before them. They went before them, and when their feet stepped into the water, it rolled back. 
God didn't do it just because they stood over on the shore holding it saying, whenever God rolls it back, we're going to go in. They had to step into it while it was still at swollen tide. But when they took a step, God rolled it back. I got a feeling that God didn't part the water so they could all go marching through on dry ground. I got a feeling that some men with courage and faith had to step, and every step they were thinking, I'm going under. But they'd take a step, and the water would roll back. They'd look, they'd take another step, and the water would roll back. You, that's why we walk by faith and not by sight, because all you can see is the flood in front of you. But God said, if you'll step in, I'll roll it back. I won't roll it back before you step in but if you'll walk by faith I'll do the miraculous because the anointing the glory of God was with him you know what it really means for the anointing of God to go with you it means the presence of God is with men God with Men. It means the Lord is with us and that He is going before us. When we operate in the, in the realm of the anointing, it means before we ever really get there, God went before us. I got to tell you, I want more than just an average church. I want more than just average music and praise singing. I want more than just a new building. I want more than a platform and a crowd. I want the glory and anointing of God to be with us. The ark represented His glory. Wherever we go, I want His glory to be with us. The word glory literally means physical manifestation of God. Several places in the Bible records that the glory of God appeared unto the people. To Abraham in Mesopotamia, to Moses on Mount Sinai, when Stephen was being stoned, the glory of God appeared. When the 12 spies went out, the glory of God was there. When Stephen was being stoned, the glory of God appeared unto them all round about. God's glory is the theme that runs all through the book of Ezekiel. If you have read it or if you're reading it, the Spirit of God seems to be uh, featured more prominently in the book of Ezekiel than in any other of the prophetic books. One of the first visions that Ezekiel had portrays the Spirit of God leaving Solomon's temple as the Babylonians were besieging the city of Jerusalem and the glory of God was leaving the sanctuary as the ark of God was being taken away. The highlight in the book of Ezekiel and of his prophetic vision occurs when the glory of God returns from the east over the Mount of Olives and once again enters into the temple. I came today to remind you that when the glory goes, the presence of God goes with it. 
But the most wonderful sight is when the ark returns back, when the glory comes back. Because you're not going to have, all you're going to have is just, well, we had good church today. People sang and clapped and the preacher preached and good things happened and we smiled and we went to lunch and we weren't on a fast. And everything was so good. It was just, it was pleasant. I love the children's program made me smile. And all that solo they did, just I enjoyed it. And the and the preacher's sense of humor just made just made my day. It just lifted my spirits. Go on and have that kind of church if that's what you want. But I want to go to church where the glory of God comes. I I I want to go. I want to go to a church where an alcoholic walks in and receives deliverance, where a drug addict comes in and gets delivered. I want, I want to go to a church where somebody comes in broken and leaves healed. I want, to, I want to go to a church where somebody comes in sick and leaves well because the glory of God is in the house. David and the house of Israel were so excited to see the the ark of the glory return that they stopped and danced every six steps. Haggai tells us of the day of the Lord that not only will God himself dwell in the temple, but he says it like this, the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former. I preached about an hour to get to this point. This is the 11th year of the awakening. And my, we had some great times over on Delphi Avenue. But I come today to tell you that God did not intend for the greatest awakening services to happen there. That was the latter house. That was the former house. But the latter house, he said, I'm going to be more glorious. That the glory of the latter would be greater I came to declare today, if the early church had miracle signs and wonders, this generation is going to see greater things. They had the ark with them. We have the ark in us. Jesus said, If I go away, I'm going to send the comforter to you and he's going to be in you. And greater things than these shall you do. Greater, 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 greater anointing, greater glory, greater power, greater miracles. Maybe somebody came in this morning. Maybe somebody came in this morning broken, feeling like God was done with you, feeling like your life is over, feeling like your future may be done. I came to tell you today that God's not done with you. (laughs) 
I hear the word of the Lord coming to the prophet Joel in the second chapter saying, and I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten and the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm has destroyed. And ye shall know that I am God and that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God. I don't care what you walked in with this morning. You can leave with the victory because God is not just in a box. God is in us. Because when Jesus died, the veil was rent in the midst. And the Ark of the Covenant and the cherubims that were on top were broken and fell and crushed. Let me tell you what that represents. The mercy of God only came to man and dwelt within on the top between the cherubim wings. The cherubims were covering it, were guarding it. It was difficult for man to find mercy. It was difficult for man to find grace. But when the veil of the temple was rent, when Jesus died, the cherubims fell over, meaning that mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me thereby burdened soul found liberty If you don't know him in the power of the Holy Ghost today, you can know him. If you'll repent of your sins, that comforter that he said would come and be in you is the Holy Ghost. He said if you'll repent and be baptized in the only saving name, in the name of Jesus Christ, he gave us a promise. He will fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's not just God with us, but now God in us. And on that day when he returns, there's only one thing that I can find in Scripture that causes the grave to break open. It's not the sound of the trumpet that causes the grave to break open. But the Scripture said Christ in us is our hope of glory. The only hope we have is to have him not just hanging, not just hanging around on the edge of him. I know, I know he's in there. I know he, you better know he's in here. Here's your opportunity this morning. I'm wrapping up. I'm done. I'm closing. But God wants to be with you this morning. He wants to be in you today. And if you're in the house and you need anything from God, if you came in sick today, you can leave here well. If you came in battling today, you can leave here with the victory. If you need salvation, you can leave here saved this morning. Oh, I wish the church would respond to the preaching this morning. He was with them, but he's in us. He was with them, but he's in us. 
Come on, that's it. Just fill in, fill in. Move forward, guys. Step up closer. Make room. Everybody's got room. Why don't you join us? I invite everybody in the room to join us. There's room for everybody. Why don't we just give the devil a black eye today by stepping out and declaring, I'm not going to leave today just saying I went to church, but I want to feel him in my heart. I want to know that I know that I know that when that trumpet sounds, no grave's going to hold my body down, but I'm going to get up and meet him in the air. If you don't know that for sure today, you ought to step out from where you are and make your calling an election sure because he's in the house. If you need a healing today, you can receive your healing right now in the name of Jesus. Come on, everybody in the building, hands raised high. Lift up your voice all over the room and begin to declare unto the Lord, God, I'm going to be with you and you're going to be with me. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, church, lift up your voice. Lift up your voice in prayer. Lift up your voice in prayer. He's in us. Hallelujah. Walk in it. Walk in it. 